There are two kinds of people in the world. There are lots of ways to finish that statement. Hollywood, over the years, has given us a variety of two different kinds of people quotes from different movies that we've seen. Clint Eastwood is one of those in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and he says this. There are two kinds of people in this world, those who have loaded guns and those who dig. The translation is the man with the most guns wins. But we like to divide ourselves by our preferences, right? Uh, by show of hands this morning, little crowd participation, how many of you are Coke people? Any Coke people in the room? Not very many of you. How many of you are Pepsi people? Okay. How many of you always feel left out from this one and you're a Dr. Pepper person? Okay. <laughs> we have Apple versus Android, uh, Mac versus Windows, dog lovers versus cat lovers. Uh, there's early risers versus night owls. Uh, maybe you can resonate with this picture a little bit. We have the let's get going people versus the just 10 more minutes people. Some might say that you could divide everybody into the winners and the losers. Or this next one, I'm pretty serious about this next one. Um, if, I, if I'm over at your house and I see that your toilet paper is going under, I won't even ask. I will just do you a favor and I will make it right. <laughs> or if you look at this next one, I feel like if you take a snapshot of the brain activity of these two types of people, it would look pretty similar to those two pictures. Then we have the normal people versus the crazy people. Uh, no lie, my mom, um, she might be watching this right now. Um, if so, I'm sorry, mom. But my mom at one point had 42,000 unread emails. And that is not normal. Uh, but we have rule followers and rule breakers. And we have proactive people versus reactive people. But we could go on and on and on, and there's no shortage of, of memes either. Um, just a few to share with you, some of my favorites. Uh, maybe sometimes you feel a little bit like Grumpy Cat. Or maybe you feel like this next picture. <laughs> and then I think this one is my favorite, the last one. Many of you know that I love to go snowboarding, and so I was pumped this past January whenever we got to take a group of college kids to Colorado to go skiing. It was my first time back snowboarding uh, since we had moved to Eldon, and uh, we got to introduce Everett to skiing as well, and so it was a great, great memory, great trip. Uh, but one of the places that I skied at the most while living in Colorado uh, was a place called Loveland. And I went there most often because it was one of the options that was closest to Denver, and it was one of the cheapest options as well. Uh, but one of the unique things about Loveland is that it sits just on the east side of the Continental Divide. So if you are driving west on I-70, um, all the way across Kansas into Colorado, you will eventually get to the mountains, and you'll come to the Loveland ski area, and you can turn into ski or if you keep driving, you'll go right through the Eisenhower Tunnel. As you drive through that tunnel, you end up on the other side of the Continental Divide. There's another quick picture. Uh, you're driving a little over a mile and a half straight through a mountain. Now, if you paid attention 
in geography class, you know that, uh, that any snow or rain that falls on this ridge on the continental divide eventually melts. And if it trickles to the west, it ends up in the Pacific Ocean. But the next drop may fall in that very same place and trickle off to the east, and then it will end up in the Atlantic Ocean. Consecutive drops of water can, can fall in the exact same spot on the, on the continental divide, but eventually thousands of miles will separate them. In our passage today in 1 Corinthians, we will see Paul describe the cross as a divide. In the same way that the continental divide creates 3,000 miles between snow or, or rain that falls in the exact same place, the cross divides all of the human race. And so Paul says this morning, there are two kinds of people in this world. He doesn't say the winners and the losers, although technically he probably could. He doesn't say the good people and the bad people. He doesn't say the rich and the poor. He doesn't say the religious and the non-religious. Paul says there's two kinds of people in this world, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And we've just started a series studying 1 Corinthians. Church is hard. Now let me tell you, I love the book of 1 Corinthians. During uh, quarantine last summer, we did a college Zoom Bible study, and we simply went one chapter at a time all the way through the entire book. And there is a lot of stuff to cover in the book of 1 Corinthians, as we'll see over the, the coming weeks. But scholars say that the town of Corinth isn't too different than modern-day America. And, and I think I tend to agree and well, I think as we study this book, we'll see lots of internal issues that makes church hard. Lots of things that are happening within the walls of the church that make it difficult. Today's topic is maybe a little more externally focused. Now, that's not to say that, uh, that it doesn't seep into the church. The issue that we see today, the culture of Corinth was seeping into the church. And so over and over, Paul is reminding the church that when we allow our lives to be formed by the cross, God is faithful and God's will can be accomplished. But whenever we take shortcuts away from the way of the cross, to do it our own way or to do what the world seems to think is wiser, Paul cautions us each and every time. And in our passage today, Paul, uh, I think, is still laying the groundwork for everything that, that is going to follow, the following 15 chapters. He is still setting the foundation for every, for every challenge that he will give, the exhortation, and every encouragement to come. With so much of the culture infiltrating the church, can they discern God's wisdom from the world's? Can they recognize God's power apart from the false, cheap, worldly displays of power? And I think as we study this morning, those are good questions to keep at the forefront of our minds, good questions to ask ourselves. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. This is going to serve as, as the framework for the rest of our discussion today. Paul, Paul is going to show us a contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And so here's the first thing that, that he shows us. To those who are perishing... The cross is folly. To those who are perishing, the cross is folly. The cross just seems a little bit silly. And Paul highlights the Gentiles or the Greeks specifically to this point. Verse, 20, uh, verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, which is folly to the Gentiles. This word folly here literally means badness. And so Gentiles hear that a Jewish man died on a piece of wood on a nondescript hill in a nondescript part of the world and his death determines the eternal fate of every person in the world. And they think that's ridiculous. In verse 22, Paul tells us that the Greeks seek wisdom. They want logic. It, it needs to make sense. They preferred to speculate their way, through, their way towards God through reasoning and, and argument. One scholar writes, the Greeks found it impossible to conceive of God in personal terms. Their first characteristic of God was apathia, the total inability to feel. God wasn't involved in our lives. And so the word of the cross, preaching Christ crucified, was simply ridiculous to them. To those who are perishing, the cross is folly. And then the second thing that he shows us is to those who are perishing, the cross is a stumbling block. And Paul highlights the Jews to make his point here. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. And to say that Christ crucified is a stumbling block is a little bit of an understatement. To a Jewish person, Christ crucified is a shocking blasphemy. It's like saying a godly child abuser. There's no such thing. And so in their minds, anyone who hung on a tree was under the curse of God. And that wouldn't be the case of their Messiah, their king. And so a crucified Messiah was, was an oxymoron, a contradiction. Verse 22 tells us that Jews demanded signs. They are, they are after power. They are after something they can witness with their own eyes. They want their burning bush experience. They thought of the Messiah as one proven by striking examples of power and majesty. And so Paul lays out pretty clearly that to those who are perishing, the cross is folly, the cross is a stumbling block, 
And third, the cross is weak. Verse 27 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Author David Platt says this in regards to this passage. Step out of the story here and imagine hearing someone say today, a man was executed by political authorities in a small Middle Eastern country. He was claiming to be the savior of the world. Such a man wouldn't get a second thought from us today. If Christ crucified is a stumbling block for Jews and folly for Gentiles, it is absurdity to Americans. Take the successful, well-dressed American man with the nice job and the big house and the nice car and take the free-thinking American woman who thrives on her independence from everything, including God. Take them both outside the city to a garbage dump where a naked man is hanging by nails on a tree covered in blood and tell them, your only hope in life is believing that this man is God and that you are entirely dependent on him as your judge, your master, your Lord, and your king. That man and that woman, all they're going to do is scoff. They're going to roll their eyes and, and at most they will feel sorry for this man in his deranged condition and they will move on with their lives. Those who are, are perishing step away from God's wisdom, thinking they can do it on their own. But that only leads to destruction. There are those looking up into the sky for miraculous signs and they trip over the cross. They stumble over this weak-looking cross and they despise it. Then there are those looking down to the books and test tubes and calculators trying to figure out God and out of the corner of their eye they spot the cross and they scoff. How foolish they think and they despise it. The power people think it's weak and the wisdom people think it's foolish. Then there are those who are too busy chasing the American dream and chasing success, convincing themselves that Jesus has nothing to offer them. Uh, I like to uh, watch YouTube uh, pretty regularly. There's a few different channels. I like a lot of mountain bike channels. I like some uh, woodworking, building channels. Um, then there's this one channel that's kind of uh, more for entertainment. It's called Good Mythical Morning. Um, they've actually been doing YouTube uh, since pretty much since YouTube started. Uh, two guys named Rhett and Link. And uh, Rhett and Link uh, grew up in Christian homes and uh, went to college and were a part of campus ministries. And then they uh, went on staff for those campus ministries and served, served in those for a long time uh, until they uh, kind of started their YouTube channel. Then they moved to uh, California and, and made their YouTube channel a, a business. And um, then over the years, uh, they, uh, they recently just released a video describing what they called their deconversion from Christianity. And it, it's a fascinating uh, Fascinating few episodes to watch. Um, but I can't help but think about Rhett and Link whenever I think about uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, they began to ask questions about church or about faith and, and the answers that they were getting or the answers that they were finding in scripture they, they didn't really like. And so they started to look other places. And slowly but surely, they began to believe the wisdom of the world, give in to the temptation to... Uh, to give in to, to what the world says and, and forsake what, what we find in Scripture, what they, what they grew up believing. And, and it's kind of a, a, a sad story because right now they, 
uh, don't claim to believe anything about Jesus. They don't believe that he was the Savior. They don't believe that, um, that maybe he was a real person, but um, definitely nothing compared to uh, what the Bible claims about him. And then I just think, man, to those who are perishing, the cross is folly. The cross is a stumbling block. The, the, the cross is weak. The message of the cross is absurd to Jews and Gentiles alike. But Paul is writing to a group of Jews and Gentiles in Corinth who had believed in Christ. And so we can't miss that there are two kinds of people in this world, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And so here's the next thing that Paul shows us. To those who are perishing, the cross is folly. But to those who are being saved, the cross is the wisdom of God. There's a whole group of people here of which Paul is one who sees the cross not as preposterous but as powerful, not as absurd but as awe-inspiring. And so why does one group of people see the cross one way and another group of people see the cross another way? Well, let's revisit verses 26 through 29. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I don't know if you caught this or not, but Paul isn't necessarily buttering up the, the Corinthians in this, this section. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, you are Christians, you, you are followers of Christ, you are saved at the cross, not because of anything in you. In other words, you aren't getting voted most likely to succeed in Corinth. But if we back up to the beginning of the chapter, all the way through what we just read, we'll notice that Paul likes to use a few different words. Called, chose, chosen. Verse one, he says, Paul called by the will of God. Verse two, to the church of God, called to be saints. Verse 9, by, by whom you were called. Verse 24, to those who are called. 26, consider your calling. 27 and 28, God chose, God chose, God chose. What sets you apart, Paul says, has nothing to do with how smart you are, where you were born, or what you have achieved. You are in the church, not because of any specific quality in you, but only because of the sovereign mercy of the one who called you. And for those who are being saved, the cross is the wisdom of God and it humbles us. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have chosen me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. Why do so many people look at the cross and see folly? And you look at the cross and see forgiveness? Are you smarter than others? Are you, are you better than they are? No, it is only the mercy of God that enables you to see the cross with awe. And so the next thing that Paul shows us, the fifth thing, is to those who are perishing, the cross is a stumbling block. But to those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. 
The cross is the power of God. Verse 30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And again, that's a phrase, in Christ Jesus, that we see throughout chapter 1. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We aren't saved by fancy rhetoric or, or special knowledge. We are saved by the power of God. And so Paul tells us that Christ is our righteousness, meaning that he saved us from sin's penalty. Righteousness deals with our standing before, before God. In our sin, we were cast out of God's presence, separated from him, but now in Christ, because of the cross on which he died, on which he died, we are invited into the presence of God. We are reconciled to him. At the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, because of the cross, we stand before God in righteousness. He is our righteousness. And then Paul tells us that Christ is our sanctification. He is saving us from sin's power. This word sanctify means for God to, to make us holy. So as we are in Christ, God is conforming us into the image of Christ. He is empowering us in battles against sin. And that's only, be, only possible because Christ has defeated sin's power over the cross. Sin's power at the cross. Therefore, because we are in Christ, we have victory over sin and temptation. We are sanctified and saved from sin's power. And then Paul tells us that Christ is our redemption. He will ultimately save us from sin's presence. So God is redeeming us. He is recreating us into the image of Christ. And we're waiting, Paul says, for the day when our redemption will be complete and we will be free from sin's presence altogether. Don't we long for that day? And this is why when you get to verse 31, Paul sums it all up by saying, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, to those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God and it transforms us. In Christ, because of the cross on which he died and defeated sin, we have been saved from sin's penalty. Christ is our righteousness. We are being saved daily from sin's power. Christ is our sanctification. And we will one day ultimately be saved from sin's presence altogether. Christ is our redemption. So to the last thing that Paul is showing us today from our passage, to those who are perishing, the cross is weak, but to those who are being saved, the cross is the way of God. We would be missing something if we stopped after being transformed by the cross, packed our bags and went home. So thank you, Jesus, appreciate it. We as a church want to reflect the holiness of God we as individuals want to reflect the holiness of God. And the more we reflect God, the better it is for, for Eldon, the better it is for, for the lake, the better it is for, for Missouri and, and for our nation. The more we reflect God, the better it is for our schools and our families and our neighborhoods. In verse 17, right before our passage today, Paul says this, for Christ sent me to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul was uh, in Corinth for a time, about 18 months. And we read about it in Acts chapter 18. And he was doing ministry and it wasn't necessarily going all that great. And he was thinking about, uh, about giving up, about leaving. 
But he, he had a dream and, and God spoke to him and said, Paul, stay in Corinth and preach the gospel. When you know that Jesus has died for the sins of men and women, that he has taken the guilt and shame and penalty and price of sin upon himself for men and women so that they might be forgiven of all their sins and restored and reconciled to God now and forever, then you want to proclaim this hope. And so to those who are being saved, the cross is the way of God and it guides us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are being, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And there's no, there's no middle grounds. The cross divides and you're either saved or you're perishing. I want to close this morning by offering three, three next steps that we can take today in response to what we've talked about from 1 Corinthians 1. And my challenge to you is not to, to focus on all three of them, but to choose one this morning that you need to focus on. Because I think no matter where we are in our faith, no matter how long we've been a Christian, there's always a next step that we can take as we continue to grow and try and become more like Jesus. So the first next step is this, be saved. Some of you in this room are thinking, I don't think I'm in those who are being saved. Maybe you still have questions or, or some hangups, or maybe you're ready to take the next step and, and God is offering the gift of his son and you're ready to say yes to him and be transformed by his love. If that's the case, that is, that is awesome. And I would encourage you to go to a friend that can lead you through that process or, or find Chris or, or an elder or any of our staff and, and we would love to talk with you about that decision. One of the best decisions that you can ever make. This next step isn't specifically for our graduating seniors, but, but especially for them. And that is this, pursue godly wisdom. As a graduating senior, you're getting, you're getting ready to step into a phase of life where you'll have the most freedom that you've ever had to think the way you want and to do the things that you want. And along with that freedom, as you head to college or the workforce, you'll also experience the most pressure you've ever experienced to change the way you think and change the things that you do. Some of that change is good. But don't fall for the tricks and the shortcuts of the world that take you away from the way of the cross. And in order to guard against that, you have to pursue godly wisdom. I found this resource a few years ago, and, and I really love it. It's called uh, the, the Wisdom Pyramid. It's very visual. It's very easy to understand. Uh, but if you're trying to, to lose weight or work on that beach bod or, or keep from... Uh, keep from gaining the 15 or turning the 15 freshman 15 into a freshman 25 then, then we know it's better to stay away from the foods at the top of the pyramid if we want godly wisdom we're better off spending our time consuming what's on the bottom of the pyramid instead of what's on the top and we know that right that's not some new revelation but it's hard to practice. 
especially with these in our pockets all the time. But if we want godly wisdom, we need to, to spend time, be consumed by his word. We need to be plugged into a church. Spend time in, in God's creation. Lastly, this morning, next step number three is to share the hope. Maybe the next step for you this morning is to share the hope that we've talked about today to those, talked about today of those who are being saved. And maybe you're somebody who's been having an ongoing conversation with, with a friend and maybe they aren't quite there yet. Can I encourage you to, to keep at it because God is faithful. Or maybe you have a coworker or a friend at school God has placed them on your heart and you need to start a conversation with them about what it means to lean into that hope and, and begin a relationship with Jesus. May you have the courage and the opportunity to share the hope that we have because of Jesus. To those who are being saved, the cross is the way of God. The cross is the power of God. The cross is the wisdom of God. And so today, maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to pursue godly wisdom. Or maybe you need to share the hope. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the cross. We are thankful that we can come, come to the foot of the cross just as we are, that you love us and that you accept us, and that you are the one who does the work of, of transforming us, sanctifying us, making us holy, turning us into the likeness of you. God, some of us need to take that step for the first time. I pray for, for those in this room who, who need to make that decision. God, would you stir in their hearts? Would you give them the courage, even if they don't understand everything, to step out in faith and trust you? It's so easy for us to get distracted by everything that the world throws our way everything that the world is saying and the world can so easily drown out godly wisdom and so maybe today we need to double down on what it is that, that brings the wisdom that you only you provide God we have great hope because of the cross Man, we need to, to spread that good news to others. And so if, that, if that's us today, maybe, may we be challenged to spread that good news, to share the hope of Jesus we have, that we have because of his death on the cross. And because of that, we are thankful. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.